How many of you have ever heard the saying, love makes the world go round? You heard that? These are actually words to a song made famous in 1958 by Perry Como. Some of you are going, 1958, I wasn't around, Perry Como. Um, The words were also used as a theme song in a 1962 musical called The Carnival. Some of you are shaking your head. I vaguely remember that. And for those of you who are more modern, Madonna even recorded this song on an album. Uh, If I were to ask you the question, what is love, I'm sure we'd get an array of responses. Everybody has an opinion of what they think it is. Uh, I ran across this week in my reading some responses that come from children aged 4 to 8. When they were asked, what does love mean? Here's what they said. Some of you are already laughing. Four to eight. I can imagine what we're going to hear. This comes from Chrissy, age six. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give them any of theirs. Love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Terry, age four. Love is when Mama makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it him to make sure that it tastes good. Danny, age seven. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. Noel, age seven. When you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. That's Karen, age seven. Her mama and daddy needs to find out. Yeah. Here's another one. You really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. That's a good one. That's Jessica, age seven. Uh, this one, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time. Even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Rebecca, age eight. Those are some definitions from children of what love is. And for the third time here in the book of 1 John, John's pointing us to the subject of love. From verse 7 to the end of chapter 4, the word love appears uh, 27, 28 times. John's not running out of things to say. Instead, John takes us a little deeper into the subject of love. There's a reason why he's coming back to this for the third time. John, as well as the rest of the writers of the New Testament, indicate to the Christian that by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, the character of God is to be reflected in how we think, how we feel, and how we act toward one another. John's point here that we're going to look at today is this. Since true love is only from God... The one who manifests or demonstrates such love shows himself to have been born of God and to be one who truly knows God. And for that reason, Christians ought to love one another. If you're looking at your handout, here's the main idea. The reasons why Christians ought to love one another. It's pretty simple. The reasons why Christians ought to love one another. Here's the first reason, verses 7 through 8. We love one another because love is from God, and God is love. John says to the Christian, the first thing he says, let us love one another. He's talking to believers. This whole 
letter that he's written, he's written to believers. He's written and said several times, in particular chapter 5, verse 13, why he wrote, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He's writing to assure believers. He's giving these tests. If you remember, that's the overall theme of this letter, the test for assurance of salvation. And he's calling on Christians here, let us love one another because we have a faulty view of love. I think we need to have a biblical definition of what love is. And actually, I gave you this definition back when we looked at chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. And here's the biblical definition one more time of love. Biblical love. This is not a four-year-old or a five-year-old's definition. This is the Bible and how it describes love for us. Biblical love is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. I'll say that again. Biblical love is self-sacrificing. Caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. You're saying, I've never read that definition in the Bible. How many have you ever read John 3.16? John 13.34. First John 4.9-10. through 10. Let us love one another. Believers, people who profess to know Christ, we are to love one another. And before I go any further, I want to say this. I don't want to give the idea that non-Christians cannot love. That would not be truthful. I would not be truthful in saying that to you. Unfortunately, non-Christians can at times show love better than some Christians do. Unfortunately. Why is it that some non-Christians can show love? If love is from God and God is love and these people don't know love, how is it that they can know love? How is it they can demonstrate love? We need to be careful here and, and not throw out a blanket statement here that if someone loves, they must know God because that's not biblically correct. But what, what is it we, what's the answer to that question? How is it that Christians or non-Christians can love? We see people do that, right? Not You run into non-Christians that can... Show love and be self-sacrificing and care. Seek your highest good. Why is that so? Well, here's the reason. All of mankind is made in the image of God. Every human being ever been born is made in the image of God. Being made in the image of God means we're like God and we represent God. Now be careful. I didn't say you were God. I said you're like God and that the fact you have character qualities that exist with God. He, He gave those to us when He made us in His image. But our image is what? It's distorted. It's messed up because of the fall. All people, in spite of their being born sinners, demonstrate qualities of God because they were created in the image of God. That's why non-Christians can love and sometimes do it better than Christians do. And God, in some measure, here's what He does. He shows common grace to everyone. And therefore, that's why some lost people can show love. They can even show a self-sacrificing, seeking the highest good of someone else kind of love. So, John says here, Christians are to love one another. You read those words and go, I can do that, right? I'm a Christian. I can, I can love other people. Can you apply the biblical definition of love to that and love one another? We're to be self-sacrificing. 
We're to have a caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one that's loved. That's how we are to love one another. Did you hear what it said? Self-sacrificing. A caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of someone else. Notice he says here in verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. God is the source of true love, he says in verse 7. For love is where? Where does love come from? It comes from God. That's why non-Christians can love because God in His common grace puts on His image bearers love. He, He puts that quality in people. The source of real genuine love, John says here, is is God. John Piper says it this way, Love is from God the way heat is from fire. How many of you ever sat around the fire felt the heat coming off of it? Love is from God the way heat is from a fire and the way light is from the sun. We The sun does what? It demonstrates it, puts off light, and fire puts off heat. God is the source of genuine love. So, Anybody that loves, even a non-Christian, that source of love comes from who? It comes from God. But John is calling on us through the Holy Spirit to love one another. He's talking to Christians. Notice why we're to love one another. John gives uh, this reason. Beloved, love one another, for love is from God. And then verse 7, and whoever loves has been, what? Born of God. The reason you're to love one another, Christian, is because love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God. The person who loves with a God kind of love gives evidence that he's been born of God. Don't miss this. John wants us to know that whenever we see genuine biblical love, that love did not originate with that person. Where did that love come from? It came from, it came from God. He's the only source of love in the world. Now, we have all kinds of definitions of love. Biblical love, self-sacrificing, caring commitment that seeks the highest good of the one that's to be loved. When we see that love demonstrated, when we see self-sacrifice, when we see seeking the highest good of another, we have evidence of a person who is born again. That's what John's saying. We have evidence that a person is saved. They are loving one another the way God loves. Here's what happens when a person's saved. Salvation unites spiritually dead, selfish hearts with God's loving heart so that His life becomes our life and His love becomes our love. John's point is that when a person is saved, when a person is born again, when he repents of his sin and he trusts in Christ, God's nature becomes part of who you are. The Holy Spirit of God comes to live within you. Your nature changes. And a necessary part of that change is what? Love. Christian, we are to love one another. Why are we to love one another? Because love is from God. And those who profess to know Him, who have been born again, should love one another. And again, church, what's the definition of loving? Self-sacrifice. A caring commitment that seeks the highest good of someone else. Notice also in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. And what? 
knows God. Those who love, with love that comes from God, give evidence that they have been born again of God. They know God. They don't know about God. They know Him. He is their God. But they also demonstrate by their pattern of life that they know God. They they just don't know about Him. They know Him personally as their Heavenly Father. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says there, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. We know God. And love is from God. If we know God, we are to love one another. Look at verse 8. Here's the negative side of that. So we've got this idea that we're to love one another with a love that is from God. A love that self-sacrifices, that has a caring commitment to seek the highest good of another person. And then he goes right into verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because what? God is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God. And what's the reason? Because if you know God, love is from God and you will love one another. Anyone who does not love does not know God. If your life does not demonstrate God-like love, a love that sacrifices... You're going to have this definition down when I get done. The highest good of another, a love that even cares for its enemies, not just other Christians, but even your enemies, then you don't know God, and therefore you have not been born of God. That's what John says. That's what the Holy Spirit of God says. You you don't love one another. What's the conclusion? You don't know God because love is where? From God. You know God... You know love. Verse 8, because God is love. It's God's nature to love. It's God's nature to give and to sacrifice. And that nature is in the born again person. When you come to know Christ, life changes. Biblically, something, the Bible says something happens to us. It's something supernatural. God changes you. And the Spirit of God comes to dwell within you. Therefore, God imparts His nature to you. And a part of God's nature that we're talking about is what? Love. You know God. You love one another. You don't love one another. You don't know God. Now, I, don't, I want to clarify something here. I want to get the wrong impression. You know, We, we live in a time, and it's been this way. Whether it will continue this way or not, I'm not sure. But if you ever have somebody say, God is love, people like to put that out there. And that's true, right? Because that's what John's saying. That's what the Holy Spirit's saying through John. God is love. But we need to be careful with that. Some misinterpret it to mean that because God is love, He overlooks what? Sin. Some go so far as to say that because God is love, He could never condemn anyone to hell. I've had people tell me that. I'm not very smart about the Bible, but I know it says God is love, and because God is love, He would never condemn me to hell. He would never judge me for my sin. The Bible is clear that God's love does not cancel out His holiness and His justice. God's holiness and His love are both a part of His nature, and neither cancels out the other. What if you were to go into a courtroom, and the judge there 
was listening to a case, and the overwhelming evidence was this person had committed this heinous crime and they were guilty. And the judge let that criminal go free. He overlooked that. What would you think? He's not a very good judge, is he? He doesn't have love because he's not willing to put forth justice. That's what it is with God. God is love, but that doesn't diminish God's holiness and His justice and His righteous wrath against sin. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, John writes about love. He also writes about the final and eternal condemnation of all those whose names are found written in the book of life. They are thrown into the lake of fire. Those who are not written in the book of life, excuse me, are thrown into a lake of fire. It says in Revelation 20, verse 15, that's what God does with those who don't turn from their sin and trust in Christ. A holy and righteous God is love, puts forth justice. Out of His justice, love is demonstrated. So John didn't see any contradiction between the concept that God is love and the concept of His punishment and and condemning people to hell for not turning from their sin and trusting in Christ. So what's very important that we stress God is love, it's also very important that we stress God is holy. God is a righteous judge. Yes, God is love, right? But God is also a holy and a righteous God. And out of that holiness and that righteousness, God puts forth His love. I know that's hard for us to get our mind wrapped around God judging sinners and condemning them to hell. That's His love, but that's exactly what is going on there. John says here, we love one another because love has its origin and its source in God and it's evidence that we've been born again. You love one another with a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that seeks the highest good of another person because you belong to God and God instills that in you. His nature becomes yours and it's evidence that you've been born again. Is that understood? When you love one another, it's evidence that I know God. I belong to God. Second... Look at your handout, verses 9 through 11. Christians love one another in view of God's display of love for them. This is probably the more critical part of this passage. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. And how was that done? That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. We are to love because God has manifest His love in doing what? Giving His Son, Jesus. God is a God of action and not just words, right? We can tell people all day long that we love them, but after a while they're going to do what? Show me. Give me some evidence. God showed His love. His love was, it says it was manifest. It showed itself. It was made extremely clear. If there was ever any doubt about how God loved, that was all taken away in the giving of His Son. How did God love? Notice it says here, there's all the words of the Bible important. Don't misunderstand me. But there's one very, very important word here. God sent His only Son. Some of your translations say only begotten Son. That word begotten has the idea of uniqueness. And God did what? He, he sent Him. You know why that word is extremely important? Because God didn't create Jesus like some people think. God sent Him, which means He what? He already existed. And He's always been there. God sent His Son. 
Jesus alone is the eternal Son of God who existed in the beginning with God. Remember John 1.1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God showed His love. God demonstrated. He, manifest, he made it clear by sending His Son. Why did God send Jesus? Look at verse 9. Why did He send Him? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might what? What's that word? Live through Him. That we might live through Him. What's the logical conclusion? What's the other side of the coin? That we might live through Him, meaning what? We're dead. No Jesus, no living. No Jesus, dead, always dead. Never having opportunity not to be dead. Being a Christian is a matter of God imparting new life to those who are dead in their sins. I think we forget that as Christians sometimes. There was a point in life before you became a Christian, you were dead. Not physically, I think you understand, but spiritually you were dead. God saw you as D-E-A-D, dead. How do we know that? I'm glad you asked. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked. You know what these verses are? This is a spiritual resume of the Christian. You know how you do your resume when you're looking for a job? What do they ask for? They want some background, personal life, but what are they looking for? The previous work you've done, what you were. And you were dead, Christian. Your spiritual resume says you were dead in trespassing and sin in which you once walked. Listen to this. You were following the course of this world. You were following the prince and the power of the air. Who's that? The devil. You were children of the devil. The spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Did you pick up on that? Before you were saved, you were just like everyone else, dead and under the wrath of God. Does anybody know what verse 4 begins with? But. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Dead. Jesus comes so that we might live through Him. God has shown us His love by sending His Son. God sent Jesus on a death mission. And that didn't catch Jesus by surprise either. He knew He sent Him on a death mission to give us life. God came to die to give us life. And John is saying that new life is seen in loving behavior. As born again people have experienced God's love. And we have, right? God sent His Son to die for us that we might live. We should display His love to one another and to a lost world. The lost world that crucified His Son. Look at verse 10. So God showed His love by what? Self-sacrificing, caring commitment, seeking the highest good, of others. He sent His Son. Verse 10. Notice the words, In this is love. 
Those words point us to what's coming up next. In this, in this is love. Notice that God's love was unconditional. In this is love. You, you really need to meditate on this and think and dwell on this. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. First, God loved us before we loved Him. In fact, He loved us when we did not love Him. As a matter of fact, Romans uh, chapter 5 says that we were enemies of God. How many of you have a hard time loving your enemies? God loved you. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. And what did He do? This Word shows up again, and He sent His Son. God demonstrated His love by sending His Son. He he gave His Son, who was there in the beginning, who has always been there. He didn't create Jesus, as some of these false teachers were teaching, and some still believe today. Jesus was there, and God sent Him. Paul said something very similar in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The word still always captures me. While I was still a sinner, God didn't say, go clean yourself up, Gary, and get everything in order, and then come back and see me and we'll settle up. In spite of that, Jesus died for us. God shows His love for us. Not when we get in a position to be worthy of love, but He shows it to us while we're unworthy, undeserving. Christ died for us. Notice why He died for us. That we might live through Him, but here's the other reason. To be the propitiation for our sins. Try this when you get home sometime this week. Try to say that word fast about five times and See what happens. To be the propitiation for our sins. We didn't, John says, and we don't love God. But God loves us and He does what? He he sins. He gives His Son. He sent His Son into the world. God loves sinners who care nothing for Him. God's love is seen in Him sending His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is only used four times in the New Testament. And each time, it's always used in the context of Jesus' death on the cross. Always. Here's what that word means. It means to satisfy God's justice and wrath toward sin. It means to turn away the wrath of God. To satisfy, to appease God's wrath. Who's... Who is God's wrath directed toward? You and I, sinners. And Jesus comes to do what? To satisfy, to appease that wrath. His love just didn't overlook our sin, right? Remember we talking about that? God is love, but He doesn't overlook our sin. Instead, He does what? He puts our punishment on who? Jesus, and Jesus' death does what? It Propitiate. It satisfies the holy, righteous, justice, wrath of God against sinners. 
God's love moved Him to send His Son, who bore the penalty that we rightly deserve. Who was the initiative with to do that? God took the initiative. And when did He do that? While we were yet sinners. He didn't wait again until we showed some promise of change or until we cried out for help. Instead, God demonstrates His own love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, again, Christ died for us. Do you get the picture of how God demonstrated His love for us? And John is saying, love one another. And why should we love one another? Because God loved you when you were His enemy. And He sent His Son to die in your place to bear His wrath and turn it away from you. Listen to a couple of quotes, or actually three quotes. I want to, I want to read from you that I discovered in my reading this week. One comes from a guy named John Stott in his book called The Cross of Christ. It's about this thick, and it deals with nothing but the atonement of Christ to pay for sin. Here's what he says. It is God Himself who in holy wrath who needs to be propitiated, who needs to be satisfied. God Himself who in holy love undertook to do the propitiation. And God Himself who in the person of His Son died for the propitiation of our sins. Thus God took His own loving initiative to appease His own righteous anger by bearing it in His own self, in His own Son, when He took our place and died for us. Does that not overwhelm you? God was rightfully wrathful and judgmental toward us for our sin, but the one who was offended comes and does what? Dies for those who had offended Him. Tim Keller says this, The gospel is that Jesus lived the life that you should have lived and died the death you should have died in your place. So God can receive you not for your record and sake, but for His record and sake. Anytime you're thinking you're pretty good, old boy, and you're a Christian, you've done a lot of good things, you need to stop and think. If it weren't for Jesus, you and I have no hope in this world. Again, John Stott says, For the essence of sin, listen to this carefully, For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself only where man deserves to be. Not that you and I loved him, but that he loved us in spite of who we were and he came and died for us. Look at verse 11. This is kind of like the application. It's kind of like a bookend. He starts there and he kind of ends this way. Beloved, if God so loved us, if He so loved us that we could be made alive, that we could be free from God's wrath, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to do what? Love one another. You notice that word ought there? It implies an obligation or a commandment. It's not optional. You can't say, well, it's just the way I am and people just need to get with the program. That ain't from God. The fact that love can be commanded shows it's not a feeling, but rather it's action based on a commitment. We must love others or we're being disobedient to God. We ought. And listen, 
It's in the present tense, which means that it's to be a continual obligation to love one another. There's not one day in the week where you can take a day off. It's to be a continuous, ongoing, loving one another. If God has done this much for us, how can we do less? Another theologian, scholar I was reading this week says this, when John says here we ought to love one another, I think he means that you live out day by day who you are as those who have been born of God, know God, and have experienced the love of God and the sacrifice of His Son. We are simply experiencing and enjoying who we are in Christ when we love one another. Loving others is just what we do because the love that has rained down on us now fills us as we abide in Him. Which kind of leads us into verse 12. Christians are to love one another because... Somebody tell me what your handout says. Christians are to love one another because what? points others to do what? To see God. And you're thinking, where did you get that from? Look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. That's a pretty interesting statement that kind of comes in here, right? No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. No one has ever seen God. The word seen has the idea of careful observation, a close inspection or examination. In other words, no one has seen God up close and personal. In His unveiled glory and majesty, no one has ever seen God in all His glory and majesty. No one. Some of you are thinking... What about Moses on Mount Sinai? You thinking about that? How about Isaiah in the temple in chapter 6? They only saw visions of God. You remember what God told Moses to do? Get between the rocks and I'll pass by because you can't handle it. That's southern for what God told him. No man can see me and what? Live. That's how glorious God is. No one can see Him. You're saying, but what about Jesus? That's correct. Jesus is the manifestation of God. But God the Father, no one can see Him because to see Him would be what? To die. No one can see Him and live. Look again at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. Stop. If we love one another, what does it say next? God abides where? In us. And His love is perfected where? In us. No one has seen God, right? But if we love one another, we demonstrate that God lives in us and that His love is what? Perfected in us. No one can see God in His essence, but we can see God through the lives of His people when they demonstrate love toward one another. You see that? No one has ever seen God. Where's the best place for them to see God? Reflected in the Christian as we love one another. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Our love for one another is evidence of God's love. Our love allows others to see God. 
But no one's ever seen God, right? But they can see God because they see His love in us as it's displayed toward others. Christian, you can love others like God loves because He lives in you. And His love will reach its goal because you will love others the way He's loved you. How can that be so? Because love is from God and God is love. Let's make some application here. I think what's implied here Directly, we're to love one another, which is to love Christians, right? But that also means that we're to love the non-Christian, to love our enemies, because we hear that in other parts of the Bible. But implied here, and what John is saying here, is that we must love those who may not be especially lovable or easy to love. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you know somebody that's real hard to love? Hmm... Speaking hypothetically, I'm sure that no one here can relate to this. You may have a spouse that's self-centered and difficult to live with. But God says you are to love who? One another. Why are you to love? Because God loved you and sent His Son. John says, Beloved, if God so loved you, you also ought to love that difficult spouse. There may be people in your school, on your job, even in this church, who are hard to love. And can I say, there may be people that you don't even really like. Beloved, if God so loved you, you also ought to love that difficult person. There are no loopholes. There are no exceptions. When you love difficult people, that's when God's amazing love in Christ does what? Shines forth in you. No one has ever seen God, but when they look at you, they should see God. You may not even like them, but if God so loved you, you also hope to love them. Maybe you're having trouble loving someone today. You want help with that? Remember that God loved you while you were yet a sinner. And He sent His Son into this world to save you from your sin. That's the answer to your question of how do I love someone? That's for Christians primarily, but let me say this. You may be here today, and I think some of us at some point in time in our life have been here. You may be here and you may ask the question, does anybody love me? Will I ever be loved? The good news of the gospel says what? Absolutely, yes. Because God loves you. And how does He love you? He sent His Son, while you were a sinner, to die for you that you might live. That you might go from being dead to being alive. God so loved you that He sent His Son to put His righteous judgment that you deserved on His Son. That's the greatest love. What's the definition of love? A self-sacrificing, caring commitment that seeks the highest good of the one love. Did God do that for us? Did He do a self-sacrificing? Did He do a commitment to seek the highest good of us? What is our highest good? To know God and enjoy Him forever. To know Him as Lord and Savior. Let's pray.